This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV, radio, terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Very quickly, before I introduce my phenomenal guest of this week, I just want to do, as I always do, publicly thank uh, my corporate sponsors, Halt and Honda and Forever, for believing in myself, my guest of each week, and the content that we bring to you globally. I also wish to thank my friends and family over at C-Suite Radio Network, where, of course, following the live show, you can eventually find the podcast link of every interview of every guest of every week, also on my host page, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. So who is my guest today? Well, my guest is an amazing gentleman by the name of Dr. James Kelly. Dr. James Kelly's path has still being built brick by brick, and the current brick is his inaugural book, The Crucible's Gift, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. The book is based on interviews from 140-plus executives, from Fortune 2 companies to entrepreneurs, and everything in between. The book unpacks the journey a leader takes to become a more authentic leader, starting with their crucible moments as the springboard. Against the laws of nature and human belief, in 2010, Dr. Kelly completed his PhD in international marketing at the University of Western Australia in Perth, Australia, and ascended to higher education to work in Philadelphia. Prior to this miraculous event, James spent time living in Japan, New York City, San Jose, Portland, and Chicago. At each stop, James added work, life, and failure in his bag of experiences. Today, James, his wife Mary, and his four kids live just outside of Dubai, where he teaches, writes, and produces his bi-weekly podcast, Executives After Hours. The podcast is predicated on interviewing executives about their personal journey. The show's motto, I care about who you are, not what you do, because what you do defines who you are. In addition, he is a professor of marketing at the United Arab Emirates University. Wow, James, I've been so looking forward to this interview with you. How are you, my friend? I feel like I need a shorter bio is what I feel like. <laughs> so thank you. I am, I am great. <laughs> thank you, Lisa, so much for having me on your show. I'm honored and excited and well, thrilled and everything. Thank you. So, thank you. Yeah. I've been so I've been so pumped for this because, of course, James and I going uh, in the pre-live here, we were talking about how long ago it was that I had the honor and the privilege of being uh, interviewed on his awesome podcast, and we ballparked it to be about a year and a half ago, which is really incredible because it feels mm. like it was just yesterday to me. Mm. And uh, I just want to say thank you for a few different things to James. One, of course, he's my C-suite brother and uh, I respect him immensely. And the book that we cited in the bio there, un- unknowingly to me, I received an email from James prior to booking this radio uh, 
uh, date. And he had indicated that as a result of our interview and in this particular last more recent book, he dedicated part of the introduction to me and my journey, which just blew me away. So, James, I just want to say I think you're stellar. I think, uh, you know, I enjoy you. We have a lot of fun. We have a lot of laughs when we do interviewing and discussions together. So I just want to say thank you. I, I can't thank you enough. I think you're fantastic. You're welcome, and I appreciate all those kind words. So you you are – you were one of those bricks in my journey that made my journey a bit more fulfilling in the process. So thank you back to you as well. Well, I appreciate that. And then, of course, this morning I opened up my email getting prepared for the show. And you had submitted the lovely book endorsement for my upcoming book, which is scheduled for release in October. And I was really touched by your kind words. So thank you again for that. I feel like we could just do this whole thing for an hour straight. I'm not sure how the audience will do it, but I think you and I could just go back and forth. I think I'll feel better when I'm done. I know that. I mean, I'm sure you'll feel better. So, oh. well, <laughs> you're you welcome know what? again. I- I never I never take advantage of an opportunity to thank people and it's not just privately but it's publicly too and um, I just want people before we dive into all these successful updates and your momentous um, you know successes everything I, I just want people to know exactly the spirit of who it is that they're listening to here on the global airwaves this is somebody who pays it forward and is of service to people continuously and oftentimes unbeknownst to the general public because he does it sincerely and he does it authentically so let's just dive right in, James. So let's talk about, um, and of course, everybody knows this is organic. It's it's unscripted. That's my preferred way of going about things. I think it makes for a much more authentic discussion. Um, but the one thing I do particularly like to start off with is the inception of my guest journey. So where did this all begin for you in terms of understanding uh, that you definitely belonged in the world of leadership, that you were an author, podcaster, uh, that communication, you had the gift of gab and you had something important to impart to the rest of the world? Where did this all begin for you? Wow. Um, that is a big question. And Take I your don't. <laughs> well, the reason why I say that is that, you know, as, as a human, for me at least, I don't know if I ever belong anywhere. I just do my best to be my best. And so, you know, this book is a culmination of probably two parallel streams that started at different times. So within the book, there's my narrative about my trials and tribulations, uh, not as 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 dramatic as yours, but they're mine. And we all have our own and we all all have our own journey. Uh, You know, I've got death and I've got stealing and I've got problems. You know, we've got DUIs. I mean, we all have some sort of journey we're on. So uh-huh. there's that part of it. And that probably starts all the way back when I was 13, 14, where, you know, I joke a little bit that I grew up in an Irish Catholic family with the touch of violence minus the Catholicism. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty much how I would, I would describe it. And the violence, you know, I, I overstate that a little bit, but it was, it was, you know, my mom is Canadian. My mom is from Toronto, just outside in, in Etobicoke. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have the Canadian roots and the I'm sorry's which I love in the pleasantry, but she also came from a, an English Scottish family. So emotion isn't really on the forefront of her, her, yes. uh, her being, as you probably know all too well. Yes. And so, you know, the way you got heard as the youngest of four was who yelled the loudest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had two older, I had two older brothers and a half brother. In fact, all my brothers are half brothers. One was adopted and then two my mom had from a previous marriage. And, um, it was always 
this thing with me and my my next older brother that the only way that we could really hurt each other is just being mean and sarcastic. And we could do it in humor, but we could also do it to cut the other person and couple that with the youngest. And it was just a whole recipe of 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 anger that probably was was inside me. So that was one journey. But the other side of this was really where you came into play and the 140 different leaders come into play is that as I interviewed on my podcast, the one consistent theme I kept finding was adversity and growth. Mm. And then there were concepts between the, between those two that really developed or blew out the book. And so we can talk about each one of these concepts, but that's really the inception of the book because I needed that nudge. You know, in life, we all need nudges, whether mm-hmm. we know it or not, or we're being nudged. The difference for some people is being aware to the nudge, and some people are not aware to it. So I was aware of it. And I took the nudge and I used the podcast as as evidence and I used my life as support of the journey that I'm on and I think that other leaders are on as well. Beautiful. Fantastic. So let's talk about some of the yummy nuggets that are actually in your book, if we can break it down. And we don't want to, you know, we don't want to spoil it because, of course, we want people to go out and buy the book. Um, We'll get to that later in the show where people can find all your yummy uh, materials and how they can reach out to you directly. Um, But what are some of the key things that you are most proud of that you really feel hits home, that you really articulated and you know that this is going to be a takeaway breakthrough from anybody who Mm -hmm. reads the book? So first of all, I want to preference that I love the phrase yummy nugget because it makes me think of some sort of like chocolate date chewy thing. So thank you for that. Um, you know, I, here's the thing about leadership books. And if and you've read them and your audience has, has read any leadership book, they all are the same within 20 or 30 percent. What What is the difference between every leadership book is how it's put together and the story or words that are used to tell the audience what you believe is important to you as a leader. Mm-hmm. And so – for me, the way that I approach this is very much like you and I, conversational. There's humor, there's serious moments, um, there's everything in between. And, and for me, if I was to boil down one of the biggest nuggets is that I kind of came to the conclusion, and I know you're going to agree with this 100% just based on your journey, is that how you frame your adversity, or as I call crucibles, not in the moment, but over time, is what's really important about your growth. Yes. You know, often for many, many people, and it's it's not a fault, it's not a blame, it just is, is that they let the adversity define them and what it and how it creates their future path. And what I found with leaders, and you're a great example of this and many others, is that it's never in the moment, right? Like adversity sucks. And in the moment, it's supposed to suck. That's the idea of adversity. It sucks. So what you find is that those, though, that had the ability to develop their self-awareness because of their adversity allowed them to define their adversity, <clears throat> excuse me, and to find all of the positives in that adversity. So let me give you an example. And I'll use myself as a great example. Mm-hmm. My dad died when I was 20, and he died within about six or seven months. So it was pretty rapid, and it was a congestive heart failure. So, you know, here I am, 20. In any male son father relationship, there's usually a transition period between parent child to basically friends. We were we were starting to approach that period, and you know he passes away. And like any twenty year old, I was devastated. Mm-hmm. And to couple that, I'm at university, and no one around me has any idea what I'm going through. Like they have no concept. And so I had no one really to talk to. And so what did I do? I spent two. I spent spent about two to three years drinking. 
and drinking kind of a lot, you know, and I get out of college and the only thing that saved me in college is that I had a serious girlfriend that by the grace of God kept me off, kept me on the, on the rails instead of completely falling off the rails. And so fast forward, you know, when I was 24, I get a DUI. And so when I get this DUI, I have to go do this outpatient program, which was for six months. It was roughly, uh, I think it was three days a week, four days a week for three hours a night for six months. And then it was one day a week, three hours a night. And then it was therapy for a year with a psychologist. Mm-hmm. But it was in that moment of when I had to, when I had to go to this outpatient program that I actually reflected on my dad and mm-hmm. that I took our relationship and what was not great about it. And decided to leave that in the past and focus on what was great about him. What did he do as a human being that seemed to have an impact on other people? And so that was me reframing my adversity, looking at the positives, positives in it, and utilizing that to move myself forward and hopefully have an impact on those around me based on that. And so that's, that's an example of saying, you know, I'm sure you've met people, Lisa, and I know that, that I've met a ton of people who – if their father died or their mother dies, that sits on their shoulders forever, and they never really yes. know what to do with it. Yes. And it's not a question of, of – again, I don't ever want to say judgment, so it's not right or wrong. It just is. But what I found in my book was the, was the pattern of leaders who utilize their adversity to redefine their identity for the better. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you for being so – you know candid with us because a lot of people uh especially for somebody who wears the hats you are you know phd teaching in dubai doctor books all this kind of stuff a lot of people would refrain from sharing some of the things that you just shared um you know people which is annoying (laughs) it is it it is because i mean really if you're going to be relatable if you're going to be if you want people to identify with you they need to know that you're not this larger than life person who can't relate to anybody on the humanistic level of what it is uh, to have been in the shits, you know. Um, and I absolutely love the fact that you shared all that with us because, you know, it, it is these defining moments and it really comes down to we can't change the course of history, but what we ultimately <clears throat> can do is hold ourselves accountable to the idea of what are we going to do with that? Is that are we going to use that to serve us? Are we going to use that in our favor? Uh, are we going to turn our pain into passion and purpose? Um, and make something of it. You know, there's good in everything if you dig deep enough to pull it out. Um, yeah. So I was, fantastic. I was gonna add something. Can I add something to that though? Just that it means since this is organic, I'm going to jump in and out so you can tell me to shut up at any time if you want. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing that I think is really fascinating. So you brought up a really good point, and I talk about this in the book as well, is the idea of people who have to have to really manage a public and private self. Right. And you just described someone who may put on this public self to, to, to manage a perception. The problem with doing that over a time period, and, and again, this isn't rocket science. It mm-hmm. becomes exhausting. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you try to manage this other persona that you're not in pain or you don't have problems, eventually people see through that. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the negative outcomes of social media is the fear of missing out. So whenever you see someone on Facebook, you're like, oh, my gosh, their life is amazing. Their life is mm-hmm. just as crap as yours at some point in the day. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Right. And so yeah. and I fall into the same trap. And so for me, what you just mentioned is one of my, I think, superpowers mm-hmm. uh, and probably yours as well, is that I'm not afraid to share my warts because in my warts means that I'm going to relate to you because you probably have your own warts. 
And I'm building a moment of trust and respect. Uh, and those who don't have that trust and respect when I share, then they're probably not someone I want in my orbit anyways, Absolutely. to be fair. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, this is, you know, you touched upon something and this always comes up, you know, when I'm talking to my team or I'm talking to people answering questions or whatever the case may be. And, you know, for anybody who makes the presumption, regardless of the momentous updates, because, of course, people like you and I, particularly when you're entrepreneurial, you have to show the rapid growth and momentum uh, of what you're accomplishing because that creates the buy-in and it shows to what degree you take yourself seriously. People cannot take you seriously and support you if you don't fundamentally, first and foremost, support yourself and believe in yourself. And so as an entrepreneur, we have to take advantage of the gift of social media. It's free advertising. It's, you know, this is how we connect with people all over the world who potentially become prospects, prospects then turning into clients, turning into sales, turning into all these other things outside of the wonderful uh, relationship that, you know, sometimes, oftentimes unfolds in addition to all those other yummy things. But for people to presume just because that that's technically what I, for the most part, use my social media platforms, my global radio platforms, my live streams, everything, you know, don't think for a minute. I mean, this book that's coming out in October, I mean, people are going to look at that who don't know me. They're going to read that and they're going to go, oh, my God. Like, you know, it's pretty <laughs> graphic. It's pretty – it's yucky. It's dark. Yeah. And, uh you know, but at the same time, I'm a single parent, you know, and I don't I don't use that as an excuse for anything. In fact, I defy that. I, I show people because I am 50% of the demographic. You know, if I can still prevail and I can still, uh, you know, succeed and set out to accomplish what I've identified as being important to me because I know that there's more elements and aspects of who I am outside of the unfortunate circumstance of being a single parent, you know, that for me is supposed to be inspirational to other people. Well, if Lisa McDonald can do it, you know, if James can do it, so then can I. Um, But for people to presume at any given moment without me having to remind people or reiterate that sometimes I am in the shits or things do break down or things don't always go according to plan, you know, I I put some of that onus back on the people who are reading my profile or who are listening to my podcast or who are purchasing my stuff Um, because, you know, I am – flawed I I, you know life cannot be easy for any single parent never mind a single parent slash single solopreneur I don't think I need to uh, redeem myself by identifying that and pointing out the obvious every day so I put some of that shared responsibility of other people making informed decisions back on them yeah well you know and I think that so this is how I feel about about what you just said. And the reason why I say I use the word feel is often we hide behind the word think. Mm. And and I, I feel that what you said is important and that you are an inspiration for others. But there are 150,000 people like you who just don't have the mic that you have. And so you're blessed to be able to share your story and give those who 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 might not have the mic to feel empowered to grab a mic, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are days that even when I'm married, I have the shits, right? Yeah. So, um, my son ran over me with his bike today. I wasn't pretty happy about that. I gotta be honest <laughs> with you, it hurt. So, you know, um, it, it happens. It happens. And so, no, that's all right. It's double worth now. What am I gonna do about it? It's funny. Right. It wasn't funny at the moment when my right. calf was bleeding, but it was. It's funny now because <laughs> he goes, he goes, Dad, run! And I was like, What? And he just hit me. And I was like, What are you doing? <laughs> 
Okay. A metaphor for life. Yeah, right. Totally a metaphor for life. Dad, run. I have been for 43 <laughs> years. I'm exhausted. Uh, so anyhow, so I just wanted to point out that I really appreciate you sharing your stories and that you're just you're not just you're lucky that you have you're in a position to share yours. But there's so many people who have stories like yours that don't have that particular power to do it or influence is probably a better word influence to do it. Um, and I, hopefully what you say about you being a single mom is inspirational for others, but just as there's married couples who have problems too, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully being a dad of four, um, being premature bald, which is just horrific. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, these, these, but there's still trials and tribulations in that. It's just a different set of trials and tribulations, which is I'm always very clear about is that we all have our own truths. You know, when I read yes. your book, what kept coming back to me is that this is Lisa's truth, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and I'm not playing devil's advocate, but I always wanted, was always curious in my head while I was reading your book is well, what's her mom's truth, mm-hmm. right? And like those two truths seem diametrically opposed in my mind as I was reading the book. Not that we need to talk about your book, but, but this is my example of like truths, right? Mm-hmm. So this is my mantra now when I meet people who are either having a bad day or tell a story I don't agree with or, or whatever is I have to remind myself that this is their truth. Mm-hmm. And in their truth, it's theirs. So I have to spare my judgment because I don't understand the context, the timing, the history. Mm-hmm. I just know the moment. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna circle back on something you said. I'm going to challenge you on something, James. Go um, ahead, challenge. Okay. So when you were talking about you know, me having the mic, not everybody has the opportunity or chooses to step up to take the mic. And, you know, I'm lucky. I I really struggle with that word luck. And, you know, maybe it just came to you at the time and it wasn't, you know, reflecting back. No, that's fair. That's fair. I know you're Because, you know, there's not, I'll tell you something right now. There's been absolutely nothing lucky about where I am today. Um, It came from fundamental choice. It came from a lot of heartache. It came from a lot of fumbling through things and having to re-strategize. It came from things that, you know, most of us, we want instantaneous overnight yeses from people. You know, if I'm going to use the example of certain guests that I've, I've wanted to seek out to showcase, because I was relentless and I didn't quit and because I, I believed that this was eventually going to align, I just had to remain patient and diligent. Uh, in some cases, certain guests, it took a year or it took two years. Um, that there's, not, there's no luck in that. I could have just, you know, cowtailed mm. to the silence, didn't get a response. Oh, well, at least I tried. I don't just try. I, I keep going. I plow through. So, I mean, some people might think I'm a stalker. I'm okay with so, that. So <laughs> I, I, owe you, I owe you an apology. I, know that I could tell. I mean, obviously, that word rubs you kind of the wrong way. And that wasn't my intent in that word. You're oh, no, right. no, no. There's, there's no yeah. bad vibes here. There's no yeah. bad vibes. I'm just no, saying no. there's a lot of people who would, there's a lot yeah. of people who would arguably uh, challenge the word luck because it's very You're easy. Right. To, you know what I mean? And people yeah, yeah. probably think, people probably would think this of you, you know, oh, without necessarily knowing your backstory and because you don't air all your dirty laundry and all the, the, the hiccups that went into something actually arriving in the way of an update or an announcement or a bullseye or a, a success, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people who would probably look at uh, the trajectory of your journey and all your accomplishments and go, oh, you know, that James is one lucky dude you know what i mean yeah yeah but couldn't you so i totally agree with you and and i didn't mean to imply that you didn't work hard because you have and you haven't like that wasn't i know you know i have so so what what i what i'm trying to imply is that maybe the word fortunate 
And I know that seems like a very close synonym to lucky. So yeah, don't parse close. the words. There. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, you know, in my mind, there should be a level of gratitude at this point because you have the ability to influence many people. And that's kind of what I'm talking about in terms of right. luck or fortune. Not so right. much that you're here and now, but the ability to impact. Mm-hmm. So maybe I should have said that a bit more clear. Um, but that's more what I was talking about. And I, I, I read between the lines on that. But for anybody who's tuning into the show, who's perhaps, you know, would have the same question or the same uh, inclination to kind of go luck, what do, you know, what, what do you mean by luck? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm challenging the word. I'm not challenging you, my friend. No, no, no. I understand. I, and I wasn't clear on that. So that's why I prefaced by saying the, oppor- the opportunity to influence people like like you could choose not to do this. And you'd have a different set of influences. Mm-hmm. And so you have the opportunity to have a larger impact. Choice, no choice, it just is. And you mm-hmm. get to utilize it. And that's kind of what I was talking about. Now I feel like I need to be in, in my little defensive box. <laughs> okay, you know what? You're on a timeout. <laughs> <laughs> that is so something my three-year-old would say to me, by the way. <laughs> So sure. talking about your three-year-old, let's talk about this this uh, lengthy journey that you've got coming up and the reason <laughs> for that and what this is going to look like for you. <laughs> Jeez. So uh, on uh, – this is stupid on so many levels. On uh, June 26, mm-hmm. we fly from um, Abu Dhabi, <clears throat> which is the other major city in the UAE. Mm-hmm. We arrive in Philadelphia midday the 26th. And starting on the 27th, we essentially, four of us, well, six of us total, counting my wife and myself, are going to pack into an SUV, and we are driving 10,500 kilometers across the U.S., even up into Calgary for a book tour. uh, Wow. And so there will be some moments that (laughs) I'll be really proud of. You think? Yeah, I I started with the positive. I said be proud of. Um, And there will be moments where I might want to leave a child on the side of the road. I'm not going to do it, but I might think about it. Um, Mm. But, you know, overall, though, what a great way to spend your summer. When you really think about it, like Mm -hmm. in today's world when we're we're fractured so quickly and easily by technology that to cage your kids in a car for 49 days, Mm -hmm. um, even though it sounds batshit crazy, Mm -hmm. the reality is is that – at the end of this, hopefully, we've created some memories for a lifetime, especially with the older two who will be ten and uh, ten and eight, that that they'll have some memories because we're going to see th- we're going to see things that we wouldn't normally see in the U.S. So, um, for all the insanity, it's going to be, and it is insane. Uh, it's going to be, I think, in the, in the words of my son, an epic journey. So you got that right, James. Yeah. You have no clue how epic <laughs> that is going to be. <laughs> Um, yeah. so let me and ask so, you, your, your, your date of arrival, I mean, I'm sure you've got this whole traveling yeah. down pat to the T so that you're not late for anything, but how much time do you have to kind of recoup your sanity before you actually go into the signing? So uh, less than 24 hours later, I'm on a train to New York to wow. meet some people in a PR firm. And then later that night, I'm back in Philadelphia doing a book reading. Mm-hmm. And a signing. And then the next morning, I'm doing a, a quick local community show in Philadelphia. And then I'm doing one more book signing at a downtown library. And then we pack up our car the next day and go down to Virginia. And I may or may not have something there because we're visiting her brother at that point. And then it kind of starts. 
So, you know, I'm doing half of the booking myself and hopefully half of this PR firm that's helping me as well that will help kind of solidify some of the dates. And as the audience, you can just go on my website. We can get to the full thing later, but on the website, you can actually see that I click on the book tour and see the map of where we're going, what days we're there. And um, if you're interested, I'm happy to do a book signing, a talk, whatever. Just just send me an email and I'll do it. Yeah. Fantastic. So. Well, you know what? Plug plug all your URL and contact information now. We'll do it again right before we're about to yeah. depart the interview. But yeah, get, you may as well yeah. while you're saying that. Sure. So just go to, to um, drjameskelly.com. That's drjames, K-E-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can get everything there, blogs, vlogs, clogs. I don't know, anything <laughs> you want. Um, the book and order the book through there. And yeah, I mean, that's the easiest way. So I don't want to give people 25 different ways to reach me. If you just go there, it's a hub for everything else. So social media and all that stuff. So just go there and please reach out to me, subscribe. I answer every single email. I answer every single, anyone who subscribes, I send them an email afterwards. Literally, it's not automated. I literally write them an email um, saying thank you. So I, I, t- I take the personal touch quite seriously because I think we've, we've lost that. Mm-hmm. In, our inter- in our interaction with people. So mm-hmm. um, you should see, at least you should see some of my book signings. Like I write like a paragraph and a half. I do too. Really, <laughs> yeah, which really sucks if there's a line for the other people. But I feel like in the moment, the person who's getting the signing is like, that's really thoughtful. And thank you. So Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Beautiful. So in the writing of the book, I mean, I'm sure every person that you interviewed or everybody whose story somehow uh, got compiled and composed in this book, was there one person who you approached who really kind of shocked you at the end based on what it was they submitted outside of what you may have previously known about them? So, oh, geez, good question. Um, I, You know, when you look at the totality of the interviews, Mm-hmm. Certain certain leaders provided certain evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, other leaders provided other bits of evidence. So when you when you think of just the one, probably the one to me, there, there were two. One was a similar story to yours, believe it or not. Her name was Bridget Mayer. She's an art gallery owner. Mm-hmm. But the but the other one was a guy named Mo Gadot, and Mo Gadot is or was the chief strategy officer for Google X. So Google X is like their their moonshot company there it's it's the place that google sends the ideas that are outlandish and crazy but they want to try them out and so he was in charge of their strategy and you know mo just had this amazing life that just came to a grinding halt when his son died all of a sudden Mm. and it just you know before that he was already on a mission to figure out what happiness was but that really put him over the edge Mm -hmm. and he wrote this amazing book called solve for happy and he he if you want to know somebody who really breaks it down, Mo is an engineer by training, and he spent ten years researching happiness wow. to figure out what it is. And he's now on a, his own personal moonshot to make a billion people happy. So he literally is he quit Google and literally is self funding and traveling the world, doing seminars, speeches and everything he can to make a billion people happy. And for him, for me, I've met, I did my interview in person with him. He, he's really humble for somebody who makes a gazillion dollars. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just, you know, when you're in someone's space mm-hmm. and, they, and they just give you this aura about them that yes. makes, you, makes you at ease. Mm-hmm. 
and he could have easily been pretentious or whatever. He wears like rock T-shirts every day. I mean, he does. <laughs> He does fulfill the epitome of Silicon Valley. Don't get me wrong, but he's so <laughs> laid back and so awesome that I just felt better being around him in person. Lovely. Um, yeah, the Bridget Mare, she she's phenomenal for similar reasons as you. She was raised uh, essentially in a crack house till she was nine with her six siblings. Her mom was a prostitute and a drug addict in Jersey, mm-hmm. and her. Uh, she was in and out of the hospital, abuse, all sorts of things. And her and her sister, one older, one younger, got adopted by the same family. And what was always fascinating to me about Bridget was she went on to go to college. She went on to own an art gallery. and make, She's making tons of money because she has this unique talent for art and picking good pieces of art. Mm-hmm. But her older sister committed suicide. And her younger sister was in and out of rehab, living in and off the streets. And it just always begs the question of what was it about Bridget that she understood in the world that she lived in to make different choices than her two sisters who were in the same house, you know? And so Mm -hmm. for me, uh, in the second chapter of the book, which is called The Crucible, she's one of the fundamental players in the chapter because it's so empowering to meet people who fundamentally have decided that the path that they were on isn't the path they're going to be moving forward with. Mm-hmm. And she, and when you ask her why and you ask her the, the thought process of choices that she had made, all she could really come up with was I didn't want to go backwards. And at some point in my life, I always had someone who nudged me in a new direction because I was open to the possibilities of different and that phrase, possibilities of different, Beautiful. is really, really important for human beings to understand that there's always a possibility of different because where you're at doesn't need to be where you're going. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's pretty impactful. So, yeah. So those are two of the bigger stories. I mean, it's it's chocker block full of I think there's like 90 actual snippets of executives that I interviewed that are in the book. So quite a few. Beautiful. Okay, so there's two. I have two simultaneous thoughts. One related to Mo, and one related to uh, what you just said there about Bridget. Um, so, if we talk about Bridget, that because that's more recent here. So, what do you think when it comes down to the possibility of something different? Why do you think some people are capable of taking that on and exploring and? allowing themselves to embrace whatever positive could mm. come from that as opposed to people just automatically resigning yeah. themselves to the fact that nothing could be different. Like, what is that? I think that there's, there's two components to it and, and you've alluded to it earlier. One is choice, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, as I just said, it's the possibility of what if, but the other thing that I found and it actually bookends a lot of the book is the idea of having a learning mindset or growth mindset, which comes from Carol Dweck, 2006 book, Uh, growth mindset. And it's really about the people who embrace the challenges, changes, and failures and ask the question why. Uh And someone like Bridget and Mo, that kind of is them. They're Uh super curious. They want to understand not only about themselves, but about others and about their, about their space that they're in, their, their business, whatever. They're just innately curious. And that was one of the things I found with a lot of these really successful leaders is that their adversity was a moment to be curious about the why and what if. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a really powerful thing. And I think some people don't don't necessarily you you can learn the curiosity 
for sure. It's not easy, but like any change in life, Lisa, you know this. Mm-hmm. You can you can show someone the change, but the willingness to do it is a whole other conversation. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. And so I think that, that that was kind of the big thing that I picked up. For, for, for me, it was a choice. For mm-hmm. you, it was a choice. And it's personal accountability. So mm-hmm. these individuals had it. Uh, and I think that when you stop placing blame on others and start – focusing on what role you played in that process, it yes. really starts to pivot how you look at situations. Mm-hmm. Just something as simple as an argument with your spouse or your kids, well, what role did I play in creating the conflict? Yes. You know? And it's never 100% one way. It could mm-hmm. be the tone you used. It could be the way you looked. It could be the way you were standing. I mean, it could be something so trivial to you, but so impactful for them. Absolutely. And so, and so you know, it, it's, I wish it was a simplistic process. It's just, it's so human. The human psyche is so complex mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day. So I wish I had a silver bullet answer for you, but it's just not that easy. Okay. Well, I want to go back to Mo for a second. So when you said that, you know, by trade engineer, 10 years research on this notion of happiness. Yeah. Now, happiness itself is such a subjective, personal, oh, totally. ind- yeah. So how do you... What ten years of research are you doing, and what, what, and what do you, and how do you break that down, and what is your final analysis on happiness, knowing that it is so subjective, and it is so individualized? Like, what, what did he arrive yeah. at? So I thought this was fantastic, and in fact, I was thinking about this while I was reading your book. By the way, it really resonated with me, and it's a really simple formula. He goes, "I read all this stuff, you know, mindfulness, this and that." And it comes down to essentially plus or minus your expectations. Hmm. So if your expectations are met and they're realistic, you're happy. Mm-hmm. Now, that's different than joy. Sometimes we confuse joy and happiness or put them in the same category. Joy is a momentary euphoric high, mm-hmm. right? Marriage proposal, wedding day, birth of a child, those are joyous moments. But happiness is a state. And so his whole thing is like, if you have expectations that are not in line with the context, of course, you're going to be unhappy or unsatisfied. But if you have no expectations, which is what he came down to, then you're always happy. You don't never yeah. disappointed. And so it's about managing the expectations. And I probably slaughtered a little bit in terms of his the way he phrases it. But essentially, it's plus or minus your expectations equals happiness, which when you think about it all the times you've been upset in your life, uh, and in your and in your book, it comes comes across to me at least. That's the way I read it. Sometimes is that your expectations were set one place, but your mom had a different expectation, and then they missed, and then you were upset. I mean, it's happened mm-hmm. to me a thousand times. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm simplifying your story. So, for your audience, don't please don't take it that <laughs> much. It's much more complex than that. Believe me. But right. but like you know, when I find when I'm unhappy with my wife or my kids, it's my expectation is what's causing the unhappiness. Mm-hmm. So. The reality is that if you can adjust yourself to just – and Mo's concept is work on just being present. If you're just present, mm-hmm. then your expectations really – because expectations are future. Right. Expectations aren't now. So Okay. Well, let me, me ask yeah. you this. So let me ask you this. Has anybody – because I don't know the answer to this. Perhaps you do. Perhaps you don't. Um, but it's still, I think, a very interesting conversational piece nonetheless. In terms of research done on expectations – you know, has it ever been proven uh, one way or the other that 
that eradicating yourself from having expectations, if we're going with what Mo said, that that's what mm-hmm. eradicates, you know, or, or puts you in the position of being able to always then be happy. Is it possible to go your whole life, or at least at the time that you consciously become aware of this and reframe how you think and how, you know, whether you choose to have expectations or not, but if you relinquish, ex- is it possible to completely relinquish expectations in order to then, if we're going with what Mo says, arrive at that state of eternal happiness. So I'm going to answer that by saying I don't know what Mo would say in that situation. But for me, I think that I'm a human being. So I am flawed and I will always find ways to have expectations. But I think that I think the premise is, is that when your expectations aren't met, Mm-hmm. have the fortitude and willingness to look inwards and find out if those expectations were realistic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if I got upset because my kids didn't get 4.0s, is that a realistic expectation? Right. You know, uh, right. It, you know, can I be upset if my hair follicles never grow in? Probably not. It's an unrealistic <laughs> expectation. So, like, you have to accept certain things how they are. And I think that's more of his bigger premise is that certain things just are. Yes. And and to come up with reasons why they're not is setting yourself up for disappointment. So I don't know. You know, one of the things that's really interesting because my background is consumer behavior mm-hmm. is that, you know, as a human being, we have this tension in our lives. And this tension is ideal and actual. And the ideal is where you want to go and actual is where you're at. And so when the ideal and actual are really far apart in, in a metaphorical parallel line, what happens is that you feel compelled to act and change the situation. Mm-hmm. So a simple example from just a from just a consumer standpoint is if your car breaks down, the ideal state is that your car is working. The actual is that it's not. So you're compelled to get your car fixed. Mm-hmm. Now, you could choose not to. Maybe it's an old crappy car, so you decide to take the bus instead mm-hmm. because you maybe can't afford a car. So now that ideal and actual aren't that far apart because it's not enough tension for you to actually act upon that behavior. And so taking that metaphor a step further, when you think about human nature, you and I, when we eat a certain way or go a certain place or do a certain thing or buy a certain thing, typically it's that ideal and actual self aren't being met and you need to find a way to fulfill that gap. And so that's where the action or behavioral change happens. Fantastic. Fantastic. We got to get Mo on the show. Yeah, Mo's great. I don't know where he's at in the world. Uh, he. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding you. Like I've texted him. And he's like, I'm in San Pablo. I texted him. He's like, I am in Lisbon. Like the guy wow. literally is everywhere. I don't know where he's at. He is. He needs a tracker like Santa Claus at Christmas or something. <laughs> His own GPS. Um, okay. So amazing. So being cognizant of time, there's a few things I want to kind of get in here. And um, so when we talk about leadership, and clearly you are within that world and you embody it. You characterize yourself as a leader. People look upon you and regard you as a leader. How do you believe in your level of self-awareness, in all of your experiences that make up who you are, all the continual healing that you've done, the self-reflection, the analysis, all of those things that you continually do to you know, consistently remain committed to being the best, most improved version of yourself? As a leader – what do you believe is your biggest strength and what has been the biggest change that you've noticed over the span of your personal life, your career, being a dad, everything? How would you sum all that up for yourself, James? Oh, my God. You asked these multi-part questions that are so I hard to answer. Um, 
So, so I'll, I'll start this with a story and tell you why I am partially why I am or who okay. I am. Okay. Is that when I was, I want to say, 13, I had a surrogate family who I'd go to all the time. I'd spend my summers there. I learned more about probably behavior and manners there than I did in my own house, only because my parents both worked. It's not their fault. It just that was the life that they had to, to do to provide for us so we could survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one day I showed up there and I just said to Linda is her name. I said, Linda, we got we, we got to call the parents by their first name, which was weird. <laughs> you know? So but I was like, Linda, I, I walked in. I was really upset. I go, I will never lie again. Now, I don't know what caused that statement to come out of my mouth, but I remember it came out of my mouth very vividly. And to that day, and I'm not talking about white lies or things like that. Um, uh, I'm not saying I'm a habitual white liar either, but it's, we're humans. Um, but like anything that I feel like, and I know this is rooted in, rooted in something that happened to me. Uh, anytime I feel like, would I want to know that bit of advice if it was me? Mm-hmm. That's the premise I start with. Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then I'm going to tell the other person yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the fundamental things about me and leadership is that, I think honesty and transparency is a lost art because the person providing the honesty is worried about being judged about how they're giving the honesty. Very true. And so it's not fun to let someone down. It's not fun to tell someone bad news. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that if you put yourself in their shoes, would you want to know that yourself? And chances are more times than not, the answer is yes. You know, my last job uh, when I was living in Philadelphia – I got essentially fired. I didn't get tenure, so you didn't get fired, but you don't get to stay there anymore once you don't get tenure in academia. And my boss at the time said to me, you know, this really sucks, but stuff like this happens for a reason, which means you're going to do something great down the road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always knew that in my mind, and I'm sure you you believe this too, is that when one door shuts, it doesn't mean you're stuck in a vault. It mm-hmm. means you're stuck in a room full of doors, and there's another one that can open. You just got to choose the door and walk down that new path. Mm -hmm. And so, and so anyhow, so from a leadership perspective, we are all a culmination of experience Mm -hmm. for me being the youngest by five years, traveling the U S by myself in my early twenties, I was just taught to be in my own head. Mm -hmm. I was just taught to be okay with being uncomfortable and asking myself, Am I behaving the right way? Am I acting the right way? What role do I play in this scenario? It's not easy. My, you know, my wife struggles with it. She'll tell you because she grew up in a super healthy household that was highly functional. Mm-hmm. She never, she had a mom that, I mean, and this isn't even a bad thing. She had a mom that told her every day that you were amazing. Mm-hmm. Like imagine you and I, if we had that, wow, how wow. would we be different? Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like you know, like. My mom told me she loved me when she had a box of wine. I was like, all right, well, my mom's drunk. That's how I know. You know, that was the Scottish English thing coming out. Like that yes. was when it was okay to be emotional. So, so Mary grew up in this house of like, I love you. You're amazing. Never focused on the failure. And now because she never had any real failure, if something's hard, she actually struggles a little bit. Right. And I find it fascinating where, you know, I had a hard upbringing. I failed all the time, low expectations. But now when I fail, I'm like, I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. what's the other opportunity? So mm-hmm. so for me, kind of going back to your original question, back on the train tracks again, um, my superpower is honesty, but also relationships. You know, one of the things that I, I talk about in the book and I think is really impactful with leaders, 
because it sets the tone in the organization from top to bottom mm -hmm. is what I call micro moments of meaning. And these are these moments that happen in the hallway, in a meeting. They're only 10, 15, 20 seconds, a story long, whatever it is. But you leave the other person in a space where they're better off and happier yes. because your mission is to leave them in that space. Now, here's what's great about that is that I'm not just making this up. I mean, micro moments of meaning, yeah, I made that up because it sounds really good from a marketing perspective, <laughs> but there's science behind it. And mm -hmm. the science behind it is that in an organization, every time someone has a positive interaction and then they have a second one, it becomes an additive effect. Mm -hmm. And so imagine if you have a corporate culture of saying, let's create these micro moments of meaning. That additive effect across an organization is positivity. Within positivity is productivity. Within productivity is increased ROI. Yes. It is it is people staying longer at the job. It is less turnover. It is happier employees. It's more engagement. I mean, the average engagement in the U.S. for an employee is thirty-one percent, thirty-two percent, depending on what you read. That's the average engagement level. Wow. So that is a lot of money on the table that's not being grabbed through an engagement process. Mm -hmm. So that's significant. So if something as little as being present and creating micro moments of meaning moves your organization from 32 to 35. That's a 3% swing of positive production. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. And it becomes the domino effect, right? Like whether you're talking right. about on the negative side of things or you're talking uh, conversely on the positive side of things. So it's a win-win if you take a look at everything you just said, James. I thought that was brilliant. Well put. Um, Thank you. Because, yeah, and the thing is once you, people start to buy into that and it becomes almost automatic and it becomes, like I say, the trickle-down effect and, and it's like, yeah, you almost feel – shunned if you are the first if you're the person who's Correct. now in that culture and in that environment if all of a sudden you open your mouth and you're, you're saying something that's perceivably negative all of a sudden now people are looking at you like you've got two heads and yeah. it's not cool right you know yeah there's this whole philosophy and i'm actually getting trained in this right now uh which is really impactful and something called appreciative inquiry and i won't bore you the details but the premise of this is i'm trying to say how to phrase this it's asking questions that require you to be appreciative mm -hmm. and be curious. So, for example, I could ask you a question that would say – it's, it's talking about what's the best that was, the best that could be, and then essentially the action of how you get there. And so, The train could that you, could. Yeah, yeah. So if I said to you, Lisa, I was like, okay, Lisa, can you tell me a time when you had a guest – that you felt like you had the deepest connection to? What was happening? What were the three factors that were happening in that moment? Try to answer that. Sure, go ahead. Okay. Uh, that's happened many times, actually, which is why I'm very selective with the, the particular guests who come on my show. I've had those kinds of moments all the time. Um, Try to think of one particular one that, yeah, that really stands out. Okay, one that comes to mind, it was actually not that long ago, and it was a gentleman, uh, another fellow author, entrepreneur, interviewed him, and in the almost four years of my doing radio, I had never broached the subject matter for whatever reason, because everybody couldn't relate to it in this industry, is imposter syndrome. And so because I'm unscripted in what it is that I do, uh, this was part of his portfolio, but something I – it was unbeknownst to me. And so he said, you know, it's really funny and ironic that you say that because – and he went on to talk about how he had written a paper on it and how he'd, he'd done his talk on it and 
this information he hadn't shared with me in the the bio that he and so it just kind of led to one kind of um, what people would deem to be coincidences it was truly alignment and it kept showing up within the interview the conversation so we were truly tapped into one another and it's not to suggest or say that I'm not with every guest um, but that really spoke to me because there was a few moments where it was like mm-hmm. it, that's interesting you said that because you know I didn't share that with you and you know blah 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 so it, it would be more it was more so about the, the spin yeah, the only reason I'm cutting you off because I'm looking at the time and I realize I've got yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so what you just said there, though, was the idea of alignment. So then I would ask you, okay, how can you replicate alignment? What are the three things that have to happen? Now, we can take that. We're only focusing on what the best of that, what that was. Not what was wrong with bad interviews, mm-hmm. but the best. And taking that, and, and you might say, like, the alignment was topic, it was space, it was spirituality, whatever it was. And then I would ask you and say, okay. Moving forward, in your ideal wor- world, how many of those interviews would you want to have in the next three years? And you might say 50. Great. What do you have to do to get that alignment across those three factors every single time? What does the guest have to have? So that's an example of saying that was the best of what was. Let's see how we can get the best of what it could be down the road. And right. what's the path we need to take to do it? And so it's this idea of asking positive questions around inquiries or curiosity to get the best out of everybody. And it's a really powerful thing. Beautiful. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up here, James, but you're always welcome to come back to the show. You and I, we've, we can talk at nauseum. We've already proven that. Um, but I want to wish you all the best with your road trip, with your six of you. I feel like that's backhanded, Lisa. I feel like that's backhanded. You're so lucky you get to go on that trip. And I I know you're going to do absolutely fantastic with your book signing and your talks and everything else that you're endeavoring to do. I, you know, you you just, you're a spitfire, you're a trailblazer. um, And I love your energy and I love the synergy. And I I know that this would uh, be emanating to the global listeners and eventually the podcast subscribers too. So James, I want to wish you all my best. I want to thank you again for everything that you've done to include me in the journey and for what you've done to help me with my career. Um, really really appreciative of you to the listening audience I want to say thank you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules for tuning into my show with my guest of today Dr. James Kelly Um, we go live here as you know every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific 10 o'clock Central 11 Eastern if you have any show topic ideas or you wish to appear as a prospective guest please kindly feel free to reach out to me at lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com or livingfearlesslywithlisa.com once again I want to very quickly thank my corporate sponsors Halton Honda and Forever as well as C-Suite Radio Network where of course you can eventually find the podcast link of all my interviews of my guests with each week I'm here to uplift you to fear less and to live more and I wish you a fantastic safe weekend love and gratitude all my best bye bye you've been listening to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.